Welcome to Policy Ish Talk, an ACI podcast where we sit down with policy experts, industry leaders, and top academics to discuss today's toughest social, economic, and policy questions. I'm your host, Chris Bushuk. The COVID-19 pandemic really prompted a revolution for telehealth services. At the beginning of 2020, only 0.1% of all medical visits each week were conducted via telemedicine here in the United States. By late April 2020, the height of COVID-19's first wave in the U.S., that number had actually increased to nearly 14%. Fast forward to February this year, the overall telehealth use for office visits and outpatient care was 38 times higher than a year earlier. And contributing to this rise is not only the demand for these services, but also the government streamlining a lot of regulations that were previously limiting the expansion and impact of telehealth. Now, the expansion of telehealth is also largely dependent on high-speed internet services something that the Federal Communications Commission has been very much prioritizing. So joining me today to discuss the telehealth landscape and the FCC's efforts in expanding this type of healthcare is FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr. Commissioner, welcome to the podcast. Oh, so great to join you. Thanks for having me. So just earlier this month, you testified before the Senate Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee on the current state of telehealth. So what is the current state of telehealth in the U.S. from the FCC's perspective and yours, of course? Well, as you indicated in uh, your lead-in, we just saw a tremendous uptake in telehealth service. In some ways, I think we may have finally reached the tipping point where we're not going to go back to just the status quo way that healthcare was delivered before the pandemic. From my perch at the FCC, we've been involved in telehealth for, frankly, decades And what we've been doing in the main over the last few years is supporting through subsidies the build out of high speed connections to brick and mortar healthcare facilities. And I've had the chance to visit these on uh, remote islands off of Alaska and other places around the country. And the idea there is you can go to a healthcare facility in a small town and through a video connection, either back to a hospital at a large facility or you can transfer CAT scans and high uh, bandwidth intensive uh, applications to specialists. It was greatly improving care. And that was really good. We call that sort of the hub and spoke model. But what we saw before the pandemic that really accelerated during the pandemic was sort of this second version of telehealth, which has various different names, but one way to think about it is connected care. And the way I describe it to people is it used to be that while you had all this great connectivity at the hospital, as soon as you walked through those doors, your access to high quality care dropped to zero. And now though, with applications right on people's smartphones, with connected healthcare devices that you can take home with you, video visits on tablets, people now have the chance to get high quality care regardless of what they're where they're located. And we sort of described this as the healthcare equivalent of shifting from blockbuster video to Netflix. You don't have to physically go to a place anymore to get care. And for my part, I first learned about this on a visit to the Mississippi Delta about three years ago. And I went to a small town, Ruleville, and met a woman there by the name of Miss Annie. And she noticed the first signs of diabetes when she woke up one morning with blurred vision. She tried traditional care methods at the local clinic and didn't see much progress. But they ran this pilot program where they sent her home with a 
Bluetooth-enabled blood glucose monitor and a connected iPad. And every morning she'd wake up and she would take her uh, glucose measurement and it would send it to her iPad and she'd get instant feedback about eat this today, don't eat this, exercise this way. And she saw tremendous progress. And it was that visit to the Delta that made me see this new trend in health, tel telehealth towards connected care. It made me realize that at the FCC, we need to support that. So we'll keep supporting that idea of getting brick and mortar facilities connected, but we also need to start this process of supporting connected care. So we went through the various rulemaking processes to do that. And just almost by luck, uh, we were ready to move forward at the same point in time that COVID-19 hit. So when Congress passed the CARES Act and gave us telehealth funding, we were able to take the rulemaking we'd established from that Ruleville visit and put that CARES Act money into it. And that's resulted in the FCC funding dozens and dozens of healthcare providers uh, around the country. Over the last couple of years, I've had the chance to visit 44 different healthcare providers across 22 states. And as your intro indicated, to a person, they're talking about this massive spike in telehealth over the last couple of years. And we can talk more about it, but there's all sorts of lessons learned in terms of regulatory red tape that needs to be cut and was cut um, in additional efforts we need to bridge the digital divide. But I'll, but I'll stop there for now. So you mentioned in your testimony that significant barriers still remain from legal and regulatory to connectivity challenges. So as we continue to embrace telehealth, can you elaborate more on these challenges and gaps? Well, there's a couple challenges that remain. One, one reason why we saw such an uptick in telehealth be possible early on in the pandemic was because HHS waived uh, certain rules, everything from you know licensing to reimbursement rules that made telehealth take off. It hadn't been a technical problem. It hadn't been a sort of cultural problem of people's embrace of using this technology remotely. And in fact, actually, you know, older populations were doing really well with these, you know, iPads and <clears throat> remote patient monitoring technology, where maybe at the outset you would have thought there'd be a significant challenge there. So the biggest gap early on was getting the regulations right, and then the technology take, took off. Now, of course, if you don't have access to high-speed connection, then none of this is meaningful to you. So the FCC were engaged in a parallel process, obviously, of trying to further bridge that digital divide. And we're doing it two ways. One, we have a substantial amount of uh, federal dollars that we've been given to subsidize the build out of high-speed internet. We have a $7 billion program that Congress recently passed that allows us to uh, subsidize connections for school kids. Whether they're in school or not, um, they're still needing connections for homework and, um, and otherwise. And then a $3 billion program for low-income Americans to get online. And that's on top of you know existing programs that the FCC has always run to help extend internet build out. So the interesting thing from my perspective, from a broadband build-out um, challenge is we've never been in the situation we are in today, which is to say we've never had enough federal dollars to fully bridge the digital divide. And we had that today. If you look across various federal agencies from commerce to ag to treasury um, to the FCC, there's about $800 billion that's been budgeted or allocated over the last year or so for broadband infrastructure, or I should say that could be used for broadband infrastructure, could be used for roads or other infrastructure as well in some cases. But that's about 10 times the estimate that people have said we need to fully bridge the digital divide. So the actual real challenge right now is implementing 
the dollars that are available. Because as your listeners probably know, Washington, D.C. is great at getting a big headline, X billion to solve Y problem, and then moving on. And the reality is these problems get solved by implementing these programs properly. And right now I'm very worried that we're going to see substantial waste, fraud, and abuse with this $800 billion because we've seen this before. In 2009, there was a big slug of money that went to commerce after the financial downturn to stimulate broadband investment. And there was just headline level abuse with those dollars. And that was only like seven or eight billion. Now we've got 800 billion out there across different agencies. Uh, and I'm very worried that we're going to flash forward three or four years. That money's going to be gone. We'll have made some progress on the digital divide, but not nearly enough. And so I think the most important thing right now uh, from a broadband connectivity perspective is that we shine a light on all of these funds and make sure that policymakers at federal, state, and local level are accountable for getting those funds into the ground and actually connecting people. So this is a very critical point you're making, right? Because broadband access really must be recognized as a determinant for uh, telehealth. So can you, when we're talking about the programs that the FCC has been leading, have we seen any results or outcomes so far? We have, and to your point about outcomes, it all clusters together. There's some mapping that the FCC used to do and may still do that shows um, how if you put together low-income populations, poor health outcomes, and lack of connectivity, those three things tend to cluster together. And so I think that that shows in part you know, the value and importance of investing in greater connectivity. The FCC's progress over the last three or four years has really been quite remarkable. And I'll, I'll focus in particular maybe on 5G, which is to say, back in 2016, there was a lot of analysts, Deloitte, Ernst & Young, saying that China was about to unleash a 5G tsunami, in their words, and leave the US behind. And there was some truth to it back then, in that it took too long and it cost too much to build out internet infrastructure in this country. So we went to work and engaged in a series of reforms to streamline the build out of internet infrastructure. I'll give you an example. In 2016, we put up something like 708 new cell sites in this country. Uh, seems like a, a lot, but the reality was uh, China was putting up many multiples of that. What it was taking us four years to build in terms of the number of cell sites, China was doing every nine days. It was a remarkable gap. And we've been working to close that by updating our rules. And so flash forward to when those reforms were done, and in 2019, we went from 708 cell sites, again, from 2016, to over 46,000 cell sites getting built out in 2019 alone. Internet speeds tripled, uh, prices were down, uh, consumers were seeing more competition, 5G's now covering something like 270 million people. There's still a lot, a lot of work to go. I, I don't want to give anyone the impression that we're flying the mission accomplished flag, but it's to say, we know the game plan that worked. If we streamline infrastructure rules, if we target these subsidies we've been talking about, and if we make more spectrum available for wireless carriers, we can continue down the path of the progress we've seen the last couple of years. So what are the next steps? How are you and the FCC planning to address some of these barriers? I mean, you mentioned many of these barriers, but yeah. uh, also ensuring that Americans everywhere are able to... Um, access telehealth services? 
there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit that the FCC could actually move on very quickly. And in my mind, frankly, should have acted uh, already this year. For one, you know, we had this uh, auction of funds uh, with the technical term of ARDOF, but it's roughly an eight, nine billion dollar commitment that we made to carriers to build out in rural communities. We made that commitment at the end of last year. We are now behind in actually distributing that uh, eight or nine billion dollars, and that's starting to hold up build. Some carriers are getting out ahead and building even without the federal money that we've donated to them. But you don't need to pass a one point five trillion dollar infrastructure package to get more spending for broadband. We just got to get the money that we've already committed to people uh, out the door. So that's one step that we can take. Another step we can take is broadband mapping. Congress gave us about $100 million um, to update and and really fundamentally change our broadband maps because the truth is we don't have a good sense of where there's connectivity and where there's not. And in March of this year, I called for the FC to complete that map by this fall. uh, And I think it's pretty clear at this point that the maps aren't going to get done until sometime next year. And that can slow down builds as well because we don't want people spending money without having an accurate picture of where there is or isn't connectivity. And on the spectrum front, there's more we can do. There's some airwaves that I've identified that the FCC could move forward on. Um, There's sort of technical 2.5 gigahertz band. I said we should move forward with an auction of that spectrum this year. Um, And there's similar spectrum bands that we can move on. So good news, bad news is we have identified, I have identified concrete steps we can take in the near term. Uh, We're just not firing at all cylinders there yet in terms of getting that done. So let's talk a bit about the long-term perspective. The pandemic only heightened the need and urgency for telehealth. Yet, and you emphasize this as well, there's still too many Americans without access to affordable and high-speed connections. And this prevents them from realizing and enjoying the benefits that telehealth and other online services can deliver. So in your perspective, what are some of the long-term solutions, both to funding and also to ensuring that patients anywhere are able to access telehealth and that's beyond the pandemic? One of the most important things we could do on the telehealth side is there's a piece of bipartisan legislation in Congress called the Connect Act. Uh, Senator Thune, uh, Senator uh, Schatz, uh, in fact, I think there's almost 60 co-sponsors at this point of this bill. That's a piece of legislation that would make permanent a lot of those waivers and other regulatory relief steps taken during COVID-19. So passing that bill would make sure we don't go back to the status quo uh, prior to the pandemic in which it was difficult or at least more difficult to deliver telehealth. That's one thing that I think has to happen. The other thing is if you get past all of this slugs of additional money that Congress is appropriating, the FCC itself has a $10 billion a year program called the Universal Service Fund that we typically use to subsidize all of these internet bills, including telehealth. And that funding mechanism is uh, under some very extreme strain right now. And the reason why that is, is we collect that $10 billion by adding a charge to consumers' traditional telephone bills. So for instance, if you have a cell phone bill, there's a portion of that that is considered a traditional telephone service, and there's a portion that's likely considered your internet service. Well, on that telephone portion, we're now adding a 30% charge, uh, which is ultimately the money that then collects together to create this pot of $10 billion. And it's 30%, but it's been increasing dramatically. You know, It used to be 5 or 6%. 
because the revenues from traditional telephone servers are declining as more and more people are shifting over to internet-based services. So our funding stream for this universal service fund uh, is really in peril right now. And one economist said that that, we'll call that that factor, the percentage charge could exceed 70 or 75% in the coming years. So I put forward an idea to try to stabilize that funding source, which would be rather than charging consumers uh, an additional portion of their telephone bill for the fund, we should eliminate that 30% charge from consumers altogether. And we should start looking at large technology companies. At the end of the day, whether you're big streamers like Disney Plus or Netflix, you're using a tremendous amount of the bandwidth of these networks that are supported um, by that $10 billion. And so I've said that those entities should start to pay a fair share towards those networks rather than the end user consumer today uh, bearing the full freight essentially of that $10 billion. So moving forward, some version of that fair share idea would stabilize the FCC's $10 billion a year universal service fund. And that's going to become increasingly important as this you know, influx of appropriations ultimately passes by. So Commissioner, while I still have you on the line, wondering what what are your other priorities besides um, supporting the expansion of telehealth for the near future? Well, telehealth is a big one. Another one is making sure that we have the workforce in place to complete these 5G builds. I spent a lot of time with uh, tower climbers and telecom crews. I've been up a 2,000-foot broadcast tower where they were swapping out an antenna with a helicopter up top. Uh, just a tremendous experience just to see firsthand the, the work that goes into building and maintaining these networks. We got about 27,000 tower climbers in the country right now. We need to add about 20,000 to complete the 5G build. So I've been working on standing up community college programs around the country because just in a matter of a few weeks or months, you can get the skills you need to land a good paying job in the tower industry. So we need to do that. I've also worked a lot on securing our networks um, from threats from foreign actors, including those that would do the bidding of the communist regime in China. And we've made some progress on that. Obviously, Huawei and ZTE uh, are no longer going into the network from a subsidized perspective. And we're looking at ripping and replacing some of the gear that's gone into it. And just this week, I uh, made an announcement where I think we need to start the process of adding DJI, which is a Shenzhen-based drone company, to the FCC's covered list, um, which would, again, prohibit subsidized purchases of them, but then also potentially uh, result in them not being allowed to be used in the U.S. And so I think additional action on that national security front is important too. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Commissioner, for coming on the podcast today and sharing your perspective with us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. 